There are at least three sections of scripture which warn us against idolatry and witchcraft. It may shock you to know what witchcraft is today. Witchcraft is basically living in superstitions. Do you have any superstitions that you live in? I have been to dinner with friends who click their glasses together before we eat. That's a superstition. What are they saying by doing this? Aren't they saying, oh, I wish you luck, or we wish you luck? I don't want to participate in that. The last time I was at a dinner with uh, worldly friends, a couple of them from the Bridge Center, they reached out to click their glasses together, and I just sat there and did nothing. Not a word was spoken. They, the two of them clicked their glasses together, and I didn't make any effort to even pick up my glass. They didn't ask me why, and I didn't tell them. If you decide you want to be a friend of this world and wish them well, let me read a scripture to you. That scripture is Second John, verse 8. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. That's Second John. We're Christians. We should be thinking about what we do in this life. Does it line up with the Bible? Several years ago, after I became a Christian, I visited my parents in Clovis, New Mexico. Some Baptist women were going out to the graveyard to decorate graves, and I was shocked. I said, why are you doing this? You're Christians. That's an extremely pagan act. My cousin's husband died, and she wasn't, wasn't any religion that I know of. If anything, she would have been a Methodist, probably. When Thurman died, she said to me, I'm going out to the cemetery to decorate Thurman's grave. And I said, why? Why are you doing this? Who are you trying to impress? Thurman can't see you. He's asleep. The dead people at the graveyard can't see you. They're asleep. Who are you trying to impress by doing this? This is a cousin who has always been very, so to speak, sensitive. And we, I've always heard, ooh, you have to be so careful around her in what you say. And she did. She just got furious with you. Almost everything you said, she took offense to. She's dead now. But anyway, we were all so careful about what we said to her, and I was shocked that I said this to her. Who are you trying to impress? Well, instead of biting my head off, she got very quiet and thought about it. And then she said, then it really doesn't matter where we're buried. And I said, that's right. I think that cousin might have been saved at that moment. For salvation is agreeing with the truth. My mother was saved in a very interesting way. 
I was at her house, and I opened the cabinet, and I saw a set of four Zodiac mugs, which I had given her before I was born again. My mother liked horoscopes. From the time I was a child, we went to town and got the monthly horoscope magazine, and she would read my daily horoscope to me. But now I'm born again. So I didn't say a word when I saw those mugs in the cabinet. I just got a garbage bag and started putting the mugs in the garbage bag. My mother was watching me, and she didn't say anything at first, and then she realized what I was doing. And she said, Stop! What are you doing? I want to keep those. You gave those to me. I didn't say one word. I just continued putting them in the garbage bag. And I went to the dumpster in the back alley, and I broke the mugs. I didn't want anyone else to get them out of the garbage and be able to use them, so I, I broke them and threw them in the dumpster. When I got back to the house, she, had, she didn't say a word. I walked into the house. I took a Bible. I opened it to Deuteronomy 18, and I read the following passage of Scripture aloud to my mother. Start at verse 9. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you any one that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. We would never expect a person to be born again with Deuteronomy 18. But when I finished reading that, my mother sat there quietly for a second, and then she said, Well then, I guess we'd better not do that anymore. I'm totally persuaded she was born again at that moment. I was living in Dallas at that time, and I went back to Dallas, and I received a letter from my uncle, and he said to me, your mother has really changed. She has really changed. And I knew she was born again. Speak the word of God. Speak the word that God brings into your mind. And it does the work of God. Whether they are saved or whether they flee from you. Either way, it does the work of God. When you speak. The word of God. Idolatry and witchcraft are terrible sins. And many of the church do them and they don't even know they're doing them. This is the reason I'm recording this podcast. So you will have a chance to examine the subject. What is idolatry? Well, we think about in the Old Testament when Aaron made the golden calf and they fell down and worshipped the golden calf and said, this is your God. We have another example of uh, Jeroboam. Oh, this is terrible. He made two golden calves and put up in front of the nation of Israel for them to go and worship in front of these golden calves. He did it because he didn't want the nation of Israel going to Jerusalem to worship because it was a divided kingdom between Israel and Jerusalem and Judah, two, two 
the divided kingdom. And he was the king of Israel. And he was afraid if they went to Jerusalem to worship, that they would take sides with Jeroboam. I mean, with, um, um, I can't remember the name of the king of uh, Judah at that time. But he was afraid they would take sides with the king of Judah, Rehoboam. He was afraid they would take sides with Rehoboam. And if they did that, he was afraid they would kill him, kill Jeroboam. Jeroboam was an exceedingly wicked king in the Old Testament. What he did is he set up two golden calves for them to worship in front of. Instead of going into Jerusalem because he was afraid. And the people of Israel went to worship in front of these two golden calves. Jeroboam did another terribly wicked thing. And we see this done all the time. And we don't recognize it's being done, but we see it being done. Jeroboam cast all of the tribe of Levites out of the kingdom of Israel. Because he he wanted to be priest. And he appointed men to be priests. God appointed the Levites to be priests. They were the only ones authorized to move the Ark of the Covenant. God even struck two people dead because they reached up and touched the Ark of the Covenant to steady it when they were trying to move it. And they were not authorized to do that. See, people have the wrong image of God. They think of God as some kind of grandfather figure. But he is not a grandfather figure. He has very severe dealings with people, even in the New Testament. Paul, in one passage in the New Testament, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, we all have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and answer for what we do on this earth, whether it be good or bad, Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. See, Paul had in in himself an understanding of the terror of the Lord. I do too. But some of you have never heard of this before. Some of you have looked upon God as a type of Santa Claus that just wishes everybody well and have a good time and you're forgiven everything and you're under the blood and it covers everything and don't worry about anything. Go out and live like the world. That, excuse me, that is a sure path to hell. It really is. Aren't you a Christian? If you are a true Christian, you're born again of the Spirit of God. You're a different person. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Think about what you do as a Christian. We all have to think about what we do as a Christian. It's time to grow up and grow up rapidly. Because don't we see the wickedness of this world getting worse? I can tell it by the television. They're putting things on television today that we would have never seen a decade ago. It's it's incredible how evil people are. They would not put these things on television in front of us if the people didn't want to see it. They didn't in the 1950s and 60s. But people today have gotten much, much worse. This had to happen before the return of Jesus. And if you're one of those people saying Jesus is coming soon, you better wake up and realize that The leaf on the tree that is saying Jesus is coming soon is wickedness. What's happening with homosexuals? Aren't we seeing a huge increase in homosexuals? Aren't we seeing a situation where some states in the United States even have a thing where they're not going to put the gender of the baby any longer on a birth certificate? Because they want the baby to grow up and decide if it's male or female. Can't you tell if a baby's male or female by looking at the baby? This is all nonsense. 
What does the Bible say about homosexuals? Let's read two passages of scripture on that subject. It's in Romans chapter 1. This is not my opinion. This is what God says. I conform myself to God's opinion. All through the Old Testament, we have examples of sodomites. In every case, the sodomite was expelled from the children of Israel. In every case, well, there were a few cases where the king, the wicked kings let them stay, but the wicked kings were destroyed. But in all cases where there was good, the sodomites were forced to leave the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. There's not one time in the Old Testament where anything dealing with a sodomite is approved by God. Not once. The whole nation of Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. What does sodomite come from? The, the word sodomite. Sodom. Sodomites. Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 19. It was destroyed. God sent two angels in there to destroy Sodom. And when those two angels arrived at Sodom, Lot took them into his house. And it says in Genesis 19 that they came out from every quarter of the city to have sex with those two angels. See, angels look just like people. Angels do not have wings. They look just exactly like you and me and the other people. Usually they're men when they come. And I don't know of any women angels, but they look like men. These two men came into Sodom for the very purpose of destroying the city. Genesis 19. Lot took them into his house and these homosexuals came out from every quarter of the city, every quarter, it said, of the city of Sodom. And they gathered at Lot's house, and they said, Bring the two men out that came to see you, that we may know them, have sex with them. And Lot pleaded for them. Lot probably didn't realize at that time they were angels and had their own power to deal with those people from the city. He took them into his house and slammed the door shut so they would be safe. The men of Sodom said, well, we're going to do worse with you than we do with them. So they beat on the door to try to open it. The two angels went out, or at least the, two, the angel opened the door and caused every one of the men to go blind. Angels have great power. And the angel told, told Lot, said, Escape, escape from the wickedness of this city, lest you be consumed in it. And twice the angel told Lot, Get away before you are consumed. You can be injured. So the Lot kind of hesitated. And the angel grabbed his hand and the hand of his wife and pulled them out of the city. The wife looked back in longing toward the city. She was turned into a pillar of salt. The angel told Lot to flee to the mountain. Well, Lot, like some of us, thought he knew more than the angels knew. So he said, oh, no, no, please let me go to just this little city here, Zoar. Let me go there. So the angel said, well, I'll, I'll let you go there. And Lot started out there, but the eruption, the fire, the brimstone came upon Sodom. It was such a sight that it scared Lot, and he fled to the mountain just like the angel told him to do. See, we think we know so much, but really we don't know anything unless God shows us. I can't give you understanding. God, God is the only one who can open our eyes to see that we live in a very dangerous time. There's a lot of wickedness inside the church congregations. 
I hope you will listen to episode two if you have not, because I gave testimony as to what was going on in the congregations when I was a young person in the 1980s. I was propositioned for sex more in the churches than I ever was in the world. I've had deacons in the Baptist church try to get me to have sex with them. I've had a deacon in the Baptist church try to get me to have sex with him, I should say. I got a Bible and read 1 Corinthians 6 to him where it says, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth without the body is without the body, but fornication is a sin against your own body. And not only that, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, To the men, if you have sex with a harlot, with a prostitute, don't you know that you become one flesh with that prostitute? Flee fornication. I hope you will listen to episode number two because I give several examples that I've experienced with churches, with people in the singles class, with men in the singles class. It it may open your eyes to the fact that this You're not safe there. And a young person especially is not safe because that young person thinks that minister is godly. We have lots of examples of ministers who have lost their church because they tried to have sex with teenagers. Oh, lots of Protestant examples on this. We think it's terrible that the Catholic priests do those abominations with children, and it is terrible. We've got the exact same thing happening in the Protestant churches in the sense of men propositioning women from the church for sex. That was in 1980, and I'm sure it's much worse today because Paul said the time would get worse and worse, that the men would get worse and worse. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse Deceiving and being deceived. I'm quoting from um, first, Second Timothy chapter 3. Paul said there would be perilous times. He's talking about in the churches because Paul said they would have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. They're going to deny the power of the scriptures. From such turn away. Don't let your children just wander into these churches thinking that it's going to be safe. This is a very serious matter. And again, I hope you will listen to episode two because I go into detail there on this subject. So my mother was born again at the time I spoke Deuteronomy 18 to her about the subject of witchcraft and idolatry. Well, witchcraft, really. Idolatry. What is idolatry? Because there are very serious penalties on idolatry. There's three areas of the Bible where it warns you about idolatry that I know of in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 5 is one of them. Let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much named among the Gentiles. Even in the world, this kind of fornication is not so much named, Paul is saying, that one should have his father's wife. Somebody was having sex with his father's wife. And you are puffed up. In other words, you're puffed up saying, oh, that would never happen to me. That's terrible. How could he think of doing that? Paul said, you're puffed up and have not rather mourned. This stuff is sad stuff. We should be mourning about the sins committed by Christians. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already. You think we're not supposed to judge the church? That's ridiculous. We're supposed to judge the church when there's fornication and things going on in the church. 
we're supposed to judge it. Paul's going to explain that in this chapter of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 5. We don't judge the world, but we are supposed to deal with the church. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Really, the only way to save a person who says he's a Christian and is doing some of these things in secret, the only way to save them is put him out of the church. Why? Because he gets eaten up by the flesh. The flesh is destroyed, but he has a chance of having the spirit saved in the day of the Lord. You will never be able to counsel such a man to come back to God. You will never be able to get them back to God through prayer and counseling. They tried that with Jimmy Swagger, didn't they? Don't you remember that? Swaggart was committing sex with a, a prostitute. He got on tele, he got caught, and it was revealed to everyone. So he got on his television show with a very tearful pleading, "I have sinned," and he was crying. That, by the way, you can see that telecast if you go to Jimmy Swaggart. If you can stand to see it, just type in Jimmy Swaggart on your internet. And it will bring it up, his picture of him crying. I think the whole TV show where he cried is shown. So what did the Assembly of God Church do with Jimmy Swaggart? He was Assembly of God. I happened to visit an Assembly of God Church meeting in Clovis, New Mexico at the time this was going on. The pastor brought up the name Jimmy Swaggart, and he said, we should pray for Brother Swaggart. And I softly, well, I was so shocked that he said that. I said he should be put out of the church. The, I didn't say it very loudly, but the woman in front of me must have heard me because she turned around and glared at me. I never went back to that church meeting. He should be put out of the church. What am I quoting? I'm quoting 1 Corinthians 5, which is what Paul says. Well, it turned out that two or three years later, Swigert was caught with another prostitute. The Assembly of God's way of dealing with Swigert was to counsel him and pray for him. So then he was caught with another prostitute, and then he said, according to Wikipedia, Swigert said, It's flat out none of your business. The Lord has told me it's flat out none of your business. When you are in the church, you are everybody's business. I am everybody's business. We can't live one way in the church and in private do all these sins. It's damning. So by the second time Swaggart did this, the Assembly of God leaders defrocked Swaggart. He, he didn't care. He has his own TV show and he can do what he wants to on this earth, unless his flesh gets destroyed. I have one case where our Bible teacher at the church I was attending was committing fornication in private. I heard about his girlfriend. I couldn't believe it. None of us knew he had a girlfriend. I did know he had been going to the bars and I told him, I said, every time you start to leave for the bar, you sit down and write me a teaching and mail it to me. He did that for about five days. Then he quit because he said he was, when he wrote those teachings and sent them to me, he began not wanting to go to the bars. So he quit sending me the teachings. So I heard from a woman who owns a coffee shop that this Bible teacher, our Bible teacher, was having, uh, that he was a terrible influence on her boyfriend. I mean, this is our Bible teacher who's a terrible influence on a secular woman's boyfriend. 
This is awful. And then she mentioned his this Bible teacher's girlfriend. I went to him and I said, I have heard about your girlfriend. Is it true that you have a girlfriend? Yes. He just beat around the bush. And finally I said to him, are you having sexual intercourse with this woman? And he said, of course. There was no shame in him. He didn't care. He's our Bible teacher at our church that I was attending at that time. I said, oh my goodness. You know the Bible as well as I do. I can't have anything else to do with you. He said, yeah, that's right. He didn't care. That was the Bible teacher of our singles class at Word of Faith that I was attending at that time. I tell you, this is going on. Years later, I talked with him by phone, and he told me that fornication was no longer a problem. His flesh had been eaten up. Doesn't that sound a lot like this scripture? Paul said, To deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And I hope that happens to him, that the spirit is saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul said to the church, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, I had no power to put this man out of the church, for if I had, I would have done it. But I did have power to put him away from me. And I did that. I said, I can't attend church with you. I can't go to your Bible class. I can't keep company with you in any way. And you know the Bible as well as I do. And he said, yeah, that's right. So I put him away from me. And I ended up leaving that church for another reason. But I never went back to his class, to the singles class, which he was teaching. Paul said in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 5, I wrote unto you in an I wrote unto you in an epistle not to keep company with fornicators. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or with extortioners or with idolaters, for then ye must needs go out of the world. Verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer, which is a vehemently uh, bitter against someone, or a drunkard or an extortioner for with such a one not know not to eat. Paul said, what business do I have to judge the world, but I do judge the ones within the church. So he says in verse 13, Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. It, it is a wicked person. Why? Because they have supposedly been saved by the blood of Christ. And they're out there doing these things. That's very wicked. That's really more wicked than the world because the world may not know some of these things. The world, like on homosexuals, which we're going to look at the passage of Scripture, the world on homosexuals, they don't know any better usually. 
we who are the church do know better. We know the scriptures. Romans chapter 1. Let's turn to Romans 1 and read that. Romans chapter 1 verse 26. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use unto that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. That is Romans chapter 1. Vile affections. A woman asked me once what I thought about homosexuals. And I told her, I said, well, it's a sin. And I read this passage of scripture to her in Romans chapter 1. And she said to me, but on the talk shows, they often say they were born that way. I really didn't have an answer for her, but God later gave me an answer. From Mark chapter 10. It is really very simple. It's in verse 6. From the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. He did not make them male, female, homosexuals, and lesbians. They were not born homosexual and lesbian. They're born either male or female. They are turned over to a reprobate mind by God because they didn't keep God in their thinking. I, I really think some of these homosexuals and lesbians had some bad experiences with the opposite sex. And it was just easier for them to go this way. But either way, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God as a homosexual or lesbian. It's not going to happen. But you can be saved. If you see it as a sin and agree with God that it is a sin and you repent, you can be saved. But you cannot continue in being a homosexual or lesbian and be saved. You turn from your sins when you see they are sins. Well, I've just read the Bible to you, which is the inspired word of God. Hopefully you believe the Bible is the word of God. Because it is, in, it is the inspired word of God. And let's read that passage of scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Turn to that. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where Paul talks about how much worse it will get in the churches in the last days. And he is talking about the churches in this passage of scripture. And that is, I can prove to you, because in verse 5, he says they will have a form of godliness. What's a form of godliness? They say Jesus is Lord. They say they're a Christian. They're not born of the Spirit of God, and they're doing all these things in private. And he said, Paul said it would get worse and worse. We'll read it. Start at verse 1. Paul says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. And we look at the world today in the, new t in, uh, in the United States. And we don't see any armies 
going to Europe to fight battles or going to Vietnam or going to foreign countries, do we? We don't see anything like that. So a lot of people think, well, everything's great. We, we live in a time of peace. I'm telling you, the homosexuals have never had it this good. In 1960, when I was born again, I learned, or excuse me, I was born again in 75, but in 1960, when I moved to Dallas, I heard from a church member that homosexuality was a sin. I was at that time attending a Methodist church, but somebody mentioned it, and it, it, I know it was a sin. And at that time, the law in the state of Texas, if they were homosexuals, they were arrested and put in prison. Now their rights are defended. I've seen football players suspended by the NFL because they did not want to be on a team with homosexuals. I've seen people rise up in businesses and threaten the workers. The army itself has a don't ask, don't tell policy, or at least they used to. It may be open today there, but I've never seen a time with homosexuality flourishing like it is today in the United States. First Thessalonians chapter 5 says, When they shall say peace and safety, sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Aren't we there? We certainly are in the United States. Don't you see the sin increasing in front of us from decade to decade? To me, it's terrifying. When I see someone is getting married, it's very difficult to rejoice until you find out whether or not they've been sleeping already, having sex with that other person. Well, Paul says, again, back to Second. Timothy chapter 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, homosexual lesbians, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, they can't control themselves, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. We had a person in our own church group who was like a daughter to me. She railed out against me without cause, really. I had noticed for several months before this happened, when I would talk to her on the phone and talk about a scripture, she just went dead, dead, just totally dead. And then when I mentioned a TV show or a movie, she came to life. She loved it so much. She was so swept away with the television and dead to the Bible. She became dead to the Bible. She wasn't dead in the beginning to the Bible. She became dead to the Bible. She was turned over by God to a reprobate mind. And that's in Romans 1. But she didn't start that way. 
having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. They deny the power of the scriptures. They don't do the scriptures. For if they did the scriptures, they wouldn't do what they're doing. Paul says, For this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul went on to say, Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And that's in the churches. He said that was what was coming. We see it. We see it right now. I don't know what it's like in the foreign countries. I don't travel anymore. But I know what it's like in the United States because they could never show this stuff on television. In the commercials, you see it so much in the commercials. They, they could never show, have shown that 30 or 40 years ago. It couldn't have been done. Why? People would not have put up with it. That shows us Society and the basic churches and the people have gone this direction. And of course, we know the churches have because they have removed so much of the Bible. When did you ever hear anyone say at church, the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery? It used to be taught in church. It was taught in the Catholic Church. It was taught at Church of Christ. It was taught in um, some of the other churches that I went to. But that was in the 1950s and 60s. After I became a Christian in 1975, I never from that time to now have ever heard it in a church. I have never heard from the pulpit a preacher preach this scripture, Matthew 5.32. Jesus said, Whosoever marrieth her that is divorced committeth adultery. I have never heard that. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, says Paul, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. Who assures us? God, by his Spirit. We are assured that what we've learned in the Bible is true. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect Truly furnished unto all good works. Prove all of your doctrines by the Bible. Now, I've spoken quite a while here to you, and I still haven't brought you up to date on idolatry. What is idolatry anyway? In the two other sections of Scripture where Paul talks about it, one of them is in Galatians chapter 6. And the other is in First Corinthians, uh, excuse me, Galatians chapter five, and the other is in First Corinthians chapter six. Let's look at those two passages of Scripture before we close. Galatians chapter, uh, excuse me, start with First Corinthians chapter six. Start at verse nine. Know ye not? that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. What's effeminate? It's got to be homosexuals. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit 
the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. What did Jesus say to the woman taken in adultery? In John chapter 8, what did Jesus say to her? Go and sin no more. We've been forgiven these things, but we can't continue in these sins. If we're truly forgiven, do any of us really want to continue in these sins that we did before we were born again? I sure don't, and I hope you don't. Now let's go to the other passage of Scripture where Paul speaks of idolatry. He's already told us if anyone who is a brother is an idolater, put him out of the church. But what is idolatry? Well, let's look at the one other passage of Scripture before I explain the subject of idolatry. Galatians chapter 5, it starts at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, idolatry and witchcraft, Witchcraft is living in superstitions. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance. Variance means to argue with people, to debate with people, to vary against them. Emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revilings, and such like. Paul says, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So what is idolatry? It's adding anything to the church that is not in the New Testament. Adding anything to the church that's not in the New Testament. As I understand it, the Catholics light candles when they pray that is not in the New Testament that's idolatry they cross themselves that is not in the New Testament that is idolatry they are trusting in crossing themselves to prove it to you if you are a Catholic and didn't do that try stopping doing it oh I don't want to stop doing that it bring me bad luck See what I mean? You're trusting in crossing yourself instead of trusting in God. And you are trusting in idolatry, for, for that's not in the Bible to do that. And I've seen movies where they enter the Catholic Church and they dip their finger in water and cross themselves, and that's supposedly holy water. There is no such thing as holy water in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, we read about holy water in the Old Testament, and it was some type of a bitter water which they made women drink when they thought they were unfaithful. If their belly swelled, then they were condemned. But if they could drink that bitter water, which was called holy water, and their belly did not swell, then they were proven by God to be innocent of the accused adultery and that's the only time holy water is mentioned in the bible and it is in the old testament in connection with judging women who are suspected of adultery or fornication so to cross yourself with holy water is an idol it's a sin it's idolatry think about what you're doing in the Protestant churches, there's, well, there's one form of idolatry which hundreds of thousands of people Sunday morning will do at church. They think the Lord's Supper is eating crackers and drinking grape juice. That is not the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is the Word of God. It's how you eat and drink the Word of God, applying it to your life. When I was a very young child, I would go visit my aunt. 
and she was a Church of Christ member, and I truly believe she was born again. She was a Church of Christ member, and I would sit there with her, and someone must have explained to me that I couldn't eat that cracker and drink that grape juice when they passed it down the aisle because I didn't try to do it, and I know someone has said I couldn't do it. Later, before I was born again, I was baptized in the Church of Christ when I was 15. I was not born again until I was 37, but I was baptized in the Church of Christ because I didn't want to go to hell. And I thought they were saying, if you come forth and be baptized, you won't go to hell. So I did. I went forth and was baptized. But I didn't have the Spirit of God. I wasn't convicted of sin until I was 38. When God said to me, Joan, you know those sins you have been making all, I mean these mistakes you've been making all these years? Those weren't mistakes, those were sins. And I went, oh, sins? I thought they were mistakes. And I was born again. There are lots of people in churches in the first place who are not born again of the Spirit of God. I was one of them. But I would have told you I was a Christian. In all those years between 15, the age of 15, and the age of 38, if you had asked me, I would have said, I'm a Christian. I told my best friend that. She uh, was raised Baptist, and she later became Catholic when she was a Fulbright scholar in Italy. And she became Catholic because she wanted to marry a Catholic man so that she couldn't marry him unless she became Catholic. So she went through all the stuff that they go through to be a Catholic, and she became a Catholic. But then by the time I met her, she was married, and they attended a non-denominational church in Dallas. But I told Donna I was a Christian. I said the right things. I said things like, um, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind. I said those things. I sounded like a Christian. But Donna had begun to suspect I wasn't a Christian. I was recovering from an operation, and I was staying at the home of Donna and Hal at the time. That God spoke to me and said to me, Joan, you know those mistakes you've been making all these years? Those weren't mistakes. Those were sins. I was changed that moment. The next morning, I was leaving her house to go to work. And I said to her as I walked past her, Donna, you know, I don't think I've been a Christian until now. She said, wait, Joni, what, what did you just say? Come back here. And she, I said, well, I don't think I've been a Christian until now. I thought I was a Christian, but I don't think I've been a Christian until now. And she began crying. It was very obvious that I had been changed. That's what being born again is. It's being changed. I have shared with you some really serious scriptures on this subject of idolatry. You better look really closely into what you're doing at church. For a lot of things are idolatry. Uh, we had a member of our church group who went to some kind of religious meeting. He came back just raving about that meeting. He said, oh, it was so wonderful. It was just so wonderful. And after he said that two or three times to me, I said to him, well, what was so wonderful about it? He said, oh, they had three crosses at the head of the table, and they were covered with flowers. That's idolatry. You see nothing in the Bible telling you to do such things. To wear crosses, to wear medallions. I know a woman who has a St. Christopher medal hanging on the visor of the passenger side of her car for protection. You think that's not idolatry? Of course you should. 
think it's idolatry. Watch what you're doing. Why are you wearing a cross around your neck? What are you doing? What does this say to another person? Are you trying to impress someone? Are you trying to say you're a Christian? If you speak the word of God to them, if you speak, if you're a real Christian and you speak the word of God that is brought to your mind, they'll know you're a Christian and they'll probably flee from you because so many people who say they're Christians practice various forms of idolatry. I feel certain I'll speak about this again. Again, all these scriptures I've quoted to you today, when I turn this recorder off, I will go to the recording and find every scripture and print it out for you and put it on the right-hand side of our blog under podcast where you can see every scripture that I've spoken today. But this is Joan Boney speaking, and I urge you again to go to our blog, Jesus Ministries Exhortations. Click on Podcast, which is on the right-hand side of the page, homepage. It will bring up all the podcasts which I've recorded. Every one of these podcasts have every scripture that I have spoken for that podcast printed out for you. So you can copy these scriptures for yourself and look upon them and think upon them day and night and move in the way of God. For this is the way of God for us, the church. Thank you for allowing me to speak to you.